0: Slapping here, folks. We'll be here all night. You know what's
1: you know what's funny? What? I watched that promo for Ant-Man with just like with just Michael Douglas and Paul Rudd well, what, doing what the What promo was that? It was like this 45 second thing where they're just doing they're like slapping their knees and stuff, and Michael Why? Douglas is just saying, like, ants! Ants! <laughs> and like and stock footage of ants is just popping up on the <laughs> screen. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like It was kind of a weird thing just to go with the kind of strangeness that is
0: Ant-Man. Well, he is a B-movie. He is a B-level character. He was never like... He was in the Avengers originally in the 60s. But even then, it was kind of like, oh, (laughs) Ant-Man. And then you see Civil War, and it's like, wow, Ant-Man and... I guess we can call him Giant-Man is one of the coolest parts of the sequence. He is pretty cool. Yeah.
1: I, I hope that they continue that trend throughout the Marvel movies of Ant-Man just getting no respect, because he seems like such a ridiculous <laughs> idea. Yeah. And then you just have Paul Rudd just being like, come on. But
0: people <laughs> underestimate him,
1: though. Yeah. I, I, can, and that'll do... be the whole point. He's, he's cool. And he can do cool stuff. Like, the, the ability to shrink down It has some great applications. But because he's called Ant-Man, and because it seems like such a way out thing, like... People like Tony Stark and, like... Uh, uh, and He's the oddball. He he is going to be the oddball, and I I hope that he continues to not get
0: respect, but yes. still be awesome. Yeah, he'll be the Rodney Dangerfield of the, the Avengers. There we go. No respect. No respect at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's a pretty good metaphor, I think. Yeah, but we're not here today to talk about Ant-Man or anything with Marvel or DC. We want to talk to you about movies from graphic novels and comic books that are not from those big two because you know you might look at comic book movies and think oh god another thing from marvel or oh batman or suicide squad is it only those choices and no, no it's not no no and the thing that's really fascinating if you look at film history you know going back the past 30 even 40 years you see a lot of movies that were made by independent comic book creators and graphic novel people. And, of course, you also talk about anime uh, or, or, or movies that are right, based on magma or mag- manga. <laughs> I almost mag- called it magma. <laughs> movies magma- made from magma. <laughs> they come from the ground and go onto the cellular. Raise a sharp obsidian. <laughs> oh. But, no, there are a lot of movies that are based upon graphic of that... Medium. Whether you want to call them comic comics, books, graphic novels, manga, experimental, underground comics, even. Sweet. So we want to talk about some of the ones that we think are pretty notable out there. Mainly because yesterday was Free
1: Comic Book Day. Happy yeah. post Free Comic Book Day, everybody. Yeah, we hope. Sorry, you went, we yeah, hope you went there.
0: We hope you went to Free Comic Book Day and maybe picked up a comic book. Support your local comic shop, even if it isn't Free Comic Book Day. You should. Yeah, you know you gotta keep those well, guys I mean, in business. I mean, as long as there is a way to look at print comic books, you know you should try to read them that way if you can. Yes, I agree. So some of the movies that, again, I think in the past even twenty years, if you especially in independent cinema, a lot of great movies have come from graphic novels. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one that immediately pops to mind for me is uh. Uh, well, first of all, a movie that we both love and we've talked about before, Scott Pilgrim. Oh yeah, and Scott Pilgrim, it, it, even
1: after the whole series was, uh, had wrapped up, it still wasn't a popular thing. It was people that it was something that comic nerds talked about. Like there's this graphic novel called Scott Pilgrim, which you'll love, and I, and I read the whole thing before the film came out, and Scott Pilgrim. Is one of the film Scott Pilgrim is one of the best adaptations ever put to film.
0: Mm, not just not just comic books, just adaptations. Purely. Yes,
1: no film has ever has so completely en- encompassed the feel and look and me- and message of its source material as well as Scott Pilgrim has.
0: And it's one of those rare cases where I think you told me that. When they went into production initially or pre-production, there were only a couple of books out. Yeah, they had not finished the series, and they were going to make basically the entire
1: storyline into the film. So it was Brian Lee O'Malley, the the writer, who was working with Edgar Wright. Yeah, uh, to write the script and say, all right, this is what I had in mind. This is what
0: we're going for. Yeah, and it's basically. Do you think that Edgar Wright might have had any input on the comic book? Well, I mean that's always a possibility. I mean, well, well that's like uh, I, I don't know if I told you this, but 2001, the movie, uh, the book was written while the movie was being made.
1: Right. The only thing that existed before the movie was that short story, the the the, the Sentinel, mo- the Sentinel.
0: Yeah, and that was used part. Not, of not the horror
1: film with Eva Gardner yeah. and uh, someone else. No,
0: but that's you could and but the thing was uh, Arthur C. Clarke and Kubrick. Even though you could say it's an adaptation of the book, it was something that they were working on together, and in a manner of speaking, maybe one Kubrick's only uncredited book credit is for 2001: The Book. An uncredited book credit is that a credit? I'll call it a credit. All right, say <laughs> hey, huzzah! Uh, um, the man's
1: dead. Might as well give him whatever he but
0: got. Scott Pilgrim, it's it's a deceptively deep movie. Mm. It it looks it looks like it, it's just a fun movie for teenagers or something. It's very bright and colorful and things move really quickly. Edgar Wright's sense of how movement goes from shot to shot and how people engage in action and also how he gets a lot of jokes out of people sometimes talking and the way that he'll have things come into frame and be funny, like a telephone coming to somebody's ear. Yeah, and and
1: that was something that got used when he was working on Ant Man. Unfortunately, he didn't direct that film.
0: There, it's funny. To there see are traces the of, of his work in Ant Man. It's hard not to tell w- what little parts are in there from him. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so there's Scott Pilgrim, which is great. You should check it out if you still haven't. It, um, it got
1: underappreciated at release, but it's. I think it's. It's it's earning its uh its its fame
0: at this point. It's very funny. It's it's re- it's some, in a way relentlessly funny, almost to the point where <laughs> if you're not if I could maybe see as great as the movie is, I could see myself possibly not being in the mood to watch it. Mm. I know it sounds like a weird thing to say. I
1: think I think I would always be happy to watch Scott Pilgrim. Mm. Even and after, you know what else, Scott do think, Pilgrim. Do you think
0: you'd watch that movie after like somebody died?
1: <laughs> okay okay that's, that's a weird hypothetical statement i
0: don't know i'm just thinking but if you know what else? scott really pilgrim down.
1: has okay. As cameos from two other comic book alumnus movie alum alumni there are a few alumni. brandon routh who was superman and chris, chris, evans. chris evans who yeah. you know good old captain america before he did before he even put on the suit yeah he was one of the both of them were evil exes mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah and uh and not comic book related, but the actress who's uh what was the line? I just thought of it. From where? From my brain. Oh yeah. She's in uh Avatar, the Last Airbender. Oh, okay. She's the voice of the uh the, the girl I, I forget her Katara. name. Katara. Yeah, Katara. Oh that's cool. Yeah, it's hard to mistake her if you when you suddenly hear her. Um so you have that movie and then also, um going but... back a few years, uh did you watch Ghost World? No. Oh. Out, I don't. I don't like friend. things that make me depressed. How did you know it would make you depressed? Matt Rosen watched it, and I heard it in the background, so I'm I'm pretty sure. Anything were with... you depressed just hearing the little bits that were? No, I, I was pretty. Unknown? I was
1: pretty separated from it to know that basically. But did he but seem you know depressed? I also
0: I I don't know I don't I don't know Matt's brains. <laughs> <laughs> um, a few people do, but I I don't know. I think that that movie a lot of that movie is quite funny. A lot of that movie is based around very sardonic humor, which is based on it's based on a comic book by this guy, Daniel Close. Um, he also collaborated with this guy, Terry Zweigoff, on another movie called Art School Confidential. And that's that's not quite as good as Ghost World. It's still okay. Uh, with Ghost World, it just follows this teenage girl named Enid. And they will talk about comic book connections, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, that was one of her first movies. After uh, North. Oh, yeah. After she kind of embarrassingly pops up in North, good old Elijah Wood and Bruce Willis in a bunny costume, and and you talk about Hudson Hawk, (laughs) what a disaster that was. Well, Bruce Willis had disasters on his resume, not just one. Okay, all right. So Ghost World, you know, it follows this girl, and she's you know kind of into different kind of, she's not really into the music that everyone else listens to she's not into the art that people always like would you say that she's a hipster in a manner of speaking but she's also in that period of life where she's trying to figure out what she is or who she is and she yeah gets hipster a, sounds like a, and, a stupid way to put it and, no, she gets a, and it. through the course of the movie if you were to condense it she gets a crush on steve buscemi uh, you never thought you'd hear that did you no thor birch gets a crush on steve buscemi filming 11 Um, and it's just a very touching movie with some more, it's had some morbidity to it, but extremely well acted and very affecting in parts. Uh, it will also, it also put in my mind something that I carry with me when it comes to, uh, watching movies that are overbearing or I use that word again, pretentious, because there's this moment in the movie where, uh, yes. Enid is in this classroom where these characters are. It's like this art class, and these characters are showing some of their projects. And this one girl made this experimental movie, and you hear the character in the movie say, "Mirror, father, mirror." And I always think of that sometimes in relation <laughs> to pretentious movies. Oh man. Wow. So uh, what, what was the, what was a movie you watched
1: recently? Okay, this is one. I I think I'll just have to start off good because this is the movie I want to talk about. Two Guns. Have you seen Two Guns?
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all it was, i would It was pretty forgettable. I disagree. You thought it was memorable? I, I, the one with Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg? Yes. Yeah. Th- that movie is very entertaining. It has its moments. Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg have great
1: chemistry in that film. <laughs>
0: I Uh, I think it's basically
1: a buddy cop film in a world which is surprisingly devoid of buddy cop films.
0: But for me, the problem was, though, that, okay, you could say it's a throwback to buddy cop movies. I, I think we've had a lot of buddy cop movies over the years. It didn't quite do that much different, except that it has some extra twists and turns. I remember that.
1: Yeah, I know. It's like there are double crosses and triple crosses in this film. To eventually the point where we're like, alright, who's double crossing who? And how do we make sure of this? Bill Paxton shows up. Edward James Olmos, again.
0: Yeah. Uh Paula Patton, uh she she she's in it. In yeah. It, I mean in it. She's a little naked in it. Uh I do remember that. Is that what that means? In it? Yeah. I don't know. I was trying to be I was trying to be coy for a moment. Oh no. Alright, I'm sorry. I've failed as a film critic here, folks. I just (laughs) described a naked woman as being in it.
1: But I really like Two Guns. Two Guns is based on a graphic novel. uh, Denzel Washington is a DEA agent. Mark Wahlberg is a... This sort of Navy I, special services guy, and they're both, they are essentially both undercover cops working to rip off a bank, and they don't know that the other one is an u- undercover cop. And
0: that's how it just starts out. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, now I remember that part of it. That's right. But I mean, what makes it really great is both. Both those guys are great together. And Denzel, no, no, no. Denzel they, they, is they... the
1: brains. Wahlberg is the muscle, or in this case, the guns. I would you know, say
0: I, I probably enjoy if I had to. I think I might have enjoyed Denzel a little bit more than Marky Mark. <laughs> you can't hold hold that against him forever. I can keep calling him Marky Mark for as long as I want. Uh... <laughs> I I again, I'm not, I, I don't want to say it's a bad movie. I just. There was nothing about it that really stuck with me. I I, I was entertained when I watched it. Hmm. I will say that. I I think that they again they had good chemistry. I think because there were so many twists and so much okay, this person doesn't know that this person is this or this person doesn't know that there's that it you know, there's a lot of deception in the movie, but I just couldn't really latch onto them as characters as I could in something like Lethal Weapon or Something related to that. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not putting you down for liking it. I just. I, I like. I. I just didn't. Um, how do I put it. Uh, you didn't kindle to it. I didn't kindle to it. Didn't it. set yeah, your heart on fire. It, like it, it didn't. It did set, it didn't quite set my heart on fire. Um, I remember there being. I remember the. Did the climax almost have a slight western tint to it? No, nah, it
1: was basically like everybody who had double crossed each other finally gathered into one place,
0: and it was the final gunfight. Yeah, you know, it, it's things like that that I think made it a little bit forgettable. Which is strange to say because that, in the way that you said it, the way it sounds, it sounds fun. Um, I think that it 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 felt almost like a throwback, also to '90s Tarantino knockoffs, <laughs> where movies were very we're going to be gritty and curse and have attitude and that will be in place of other movies. But, um,
1: what I would do is I would, I would pair this movie up. If we talk about, you know, companion films, I would watch Sicario first. And then I would watch two guns because then you could have Sicario and you could, you know, just have like the serious, very rewarding intellectual film about the drug trade and Mexican and Mexican outlaws. Then you can watch the fun shoot 'em up buddy cop take on that same subject with Denzel and, Mar- and Wahlberg.
0: Yeah. Well, well, speaking of with comic with, with violence and all that, uh, you know, I mean, David. speaking of violence, well, the movie A History of Violence, where... Uh, I've only seen part... I've seen the first half of this film. Okay. Well, talk Ed Harris, who's in that, uh, that's a David Cronenberg movie, but it's based on a graphic novel. Right. And it's his first movie... I don't know if it's his first movie set in America, but it might have been... It felt like a departure for him. Like I remember when this movie came out, it felt like a big deal. Yeah, I mean, um, if you're
1: thinking about Cronenberg, you're basically thinking about orifices and uh and slimy things.
0: No, and this is more of a stripped down The fly didn't take place in America? Maybe. Maybe it <laughs> did. I don't remember. He shot all of his movies in Toronto up until recently. Oh yeah, but The Dark Knight was shot in No, no right. it was shot in Chicago. But other Wait. A lot of movies are shot. In a Toronto. lot of sh-
1: movies. Are... Scott Pilgrim shot in Toronto. Well, yeah, but it takes place in Canada. A lot of movies that take place in New York are Extra... shot in Toronto.
0: That's... Well, well, a lot of movies are also shot in Vancouver. Okay. all right,
1: But the point is... Though, Canada is not America in, yeah,
0: in, in films. But, uh. but the point is, I think Canada doubled for America in this movie. Okay. Uh, Vigo Mortensen is this uh, seemingly uh, this family man that runs this local diner. And these two guys come into his place late one night, uh, try to start some stuff, and he shoots them and takes them out. And it almost seems like, wow, he did that with some skill. And, and this feels like this devastating moment for this family. But then... Ed Harris shows up in town, and this this really chilling moment. It's never he, a good thing when Ed Harris shows up in town. And he shows up in kind of almost all black, and he calls Viggo Mortensen's character Joey, even though that's not his name. <laughs> and he just kind of repeats that name over and over again. So, like, how are you doing today, Joey? And Viggo Mortensen's like, "Uh, that's not my name." That would be. That would oh, be, yes, it is. That would be a Joey. fun
1: experiment just to go uh, into a restaurant and just call the waitress Joey. Like, with every sentence you speak. Yeah. Try that out, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Email us at thewagesofcinema at (laughs)
0: blogs.facebook.com. Do that, or be like, Garcon, coffee. Garcon means boy. Yeah. Um, But this is an affecting movie, and it it kind of strips away about a lot of what we think of when we think about, okay, we're Americans. uh, We're often dubbed as being violent, but... How does that violence come out? Is it something that's buried within us? Is it are we all capable of it? Um I think this movie asks some really interesting questions about kind of like the national character in relation in all kind of encompassed in this one nuclear family. Nuclear. Um so I would say that's one of the main ones I would check out uh, and suggest and you should check out the rest of the movie. Okay. Uh, it's one of David. It's definitely one of his best. I think this was one of the ones I would have watched if I had had more time leading up to this episode. I got you. I got like that was the that was the movie where, I mean, I'd seen Viggo Mortensen in the Lord of the Rings movies. I thought, oh, he uh, this guy is a good Aragorn. He's a solid uh, hero. He knows how to give a good speech. Hmm. You know, we may die on this day, but it is not this day. wait we may die on this day but it is not this day it was something like that (laughs) all right don't don't quote me on that folks i don't know my lord of the Rings speeches um what was another movie you watched? Uh, Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. Oh, had you seen the first one? Oh yeah, uh,
1: that that was like I, that came out when I was just like getting into college, and yeah. that was like, oh, have you seen Sin City yet? That was a big deal at the time. It was, it, and and since then I haven't seen it in a long time. So I I think in my mind I'd gotten over, it, and it's like, oh, Sin City, it's a little ridiculous. It's Frank Miller, it's basically you know the hyped up super masculine whatever. And watching the sequel, it felt like I was right back in it and just as excited as I was the first time. And let me tell you something. In film, I have seen two sex scenes that have made me laugh. (laughs) And both of them have Eva Green in them. (laughs) And they're both based on Frank Miller. Yeah, how
0: weird is that? (laughs) In 2014, Eva Green became the femme fatale poster child for Frank Miller. I know. And remember
1: I told you about 300
0: Rise of an Empire, how I just (laughs) laughed out loud during that sex scene. Oh, that's such a great sex scene. Yes. Where it's like they're fighting, but they're also having sex, and she's like, (laughs) ha, And it's like... In and in that film, like she's tempting Themistocles,
1: like, oh, come over to my side. And it's all like, I'll have sex with you if you yeah. come over here. And you're like, he's obviously not gonna do it. And then he does it. Yeah. <laughs> but, in this... And in this one, same thing happens. It's, little, it's not quite as over. With the top. A, what's his name? Uh Eli- Josh Brolin. No, 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 no. With uh she, she has sex with uh Elias Codius. He's playing like a detective. He's not even oh. like a main character. And it's this little scene where he's yeah. she's seducing him and she she's trying to get sympathy and all right, this is exactly what happens in the movie. Yeah. She, she talks about how Josh Brolin's character, I she's presumably making it up, uh had had raped her. And she's describing it, and all this, and they've just yeah. made love, and he's getting dressed. And as soon as she's describing it and talking, he takes off his clothes again, yeah. and just goes right.
0: <laughs> and I'm like, it's it,
1: it's insane, yeah. and I just had to laugh. It was it was marvelous.
0: <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Eva Green, marvelous.
1: But I mean. I, and, I, and the weird thing about this is they got most of the people from the original movie back, except for uh, what's his name? Uh, Clive Owen. Uh, yeah, well, that. I think, and Benicio del Toro. And and they, uh, and the, uh, and they got That's most of fine. the people to come back. They got, you know, Je- Jessica Alba and Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis and. Uh, Mickey Work. Mickey Rourke. He wasn't really doing anything. Yeah. I mean well actually, you know, Mickey Rourke. He's he's busier than ever nowadays. Uh but they they caught all those guys to come back. You know, Robert Rodriguez came back to direct this. Well, of
0: course, it's his his brainchild.
1: Right. But then they got a whole bunch of other great people to co- to come to join him. Um God damn it. What's it? uh uh, uh Christopher Lloyd has a cameo in this. Oh. Ray Liotta well, has, well, well, has fa- a cameo in this. Well, my uh,
0: favorite was Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He, His he story was... was not great because I didn't see where, what the point was, but still, he was great in that film. Still, as a kind of Sin City type of story, I, I like, for some reason, I just liked him in the movie. Yeah, and, and he's and, and good it's, in the movie. And it's, and it's funny because in Looper, he plays young Bruce Willis. Yeah, and also, I think that there was a
1: corpse that was played by Taylor Lautner, but I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will not be surprised. Excuse me, I just yawned there. Uh, I, but yeah, I, I, maybe, I and the movie. maybe this isn't as good as the first one. No, but it's the not. The weird thing is, it's like not. for a
1: sequel that came so long after the original, yeah. and after we had had so much time to cool off from Sin City, mm-hmm. I got, I started watching this, and I immediately got sucked into that. Sort of invincible feeling that you get from watching Sin City. Like you feel like the biggest badass in the world.
0: <laughs> well, well, especially well that first movie. That's basically a movie made for guys. You know, you watch that movie and it's tough. It's like Mickey Rourke blasts through like a wall, and you know he's beating up people left and right. And they, like one of the key images for me of that movie is he's driving, like kind of torturing this guy and. He has the guy's face up against the gravel oh. as he's driving and he says, I don't know about you, but I'm having a ball.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it's like in, in the world of Sin City, like there is no gun smaller than a forty five and there like every woman is a prostitute and wears bondage lingerie wherever yeah. she goes.
0: I don't know if I really care I don't know if I cared and, so and, much for the and, I don't know if I cared so much for the stuff of Jessica Alba. Nah, it's well, not it's, as great. Yeah, that, that whole thing where it's following up from the first movie, where uh, she's all distraught over Bruce Willis. Yeah. That, I felt, dragged the movie a bit.
1: And it's weird that, you know, it feels like... Uh, there must be a Sin City parody somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. There's probably <laughs> a Sin City sex it version. Is, it is, this thing is ripe for parody, even nowadays. But I was just so surprised at how excited it made me feel again. Well, it's, it's
0: weird. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. It's because... like it's
1: like if the movie you saw when you, you that got you so pumped as a teenager that you expect to be bad actually ended up being
0: as good as you remembered. Yeah. Well, one well, <laughs> consequently though, Frank Miller made his own unintentional parody of Sin City, though, oh, was, yeah, with, with the, the spirit. spirit. Yay. Uh, which we saw in the theater and Why uh, aren't that... you laughing? Of course toilets are funny. I'm dead as Star Trek. Get me a tie and bet, make sure it's red. Does is that line the movie? I think it is. You're quoting Sin City. No, no, no. That that was The Spirit. Oh, oh god. Oh. The Spirit is not a good movie. I loved when I was at I was at New York Comic Con a couple of years ago, and there was this guy Darwin Cook, who I'm I'm a big fan of. He writes, and he's written a lot of new Spirit comics that have come right. out over the past uh, several years. <laughs> And somebody in the audience asked him at Q and A. Q&A, so, what do you think of Frank Miller's *The Spirit*? Without missing a beat, he leans in the mic. It was a piece of shit. <laughs> and he's like, I, I, you know, I like Frank and all, but that was just a bad movie. And Man, yeah. Frank Miller. He and, the,
1: missed... and he has his and he has his cameo early in this film.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can't miss him. He he. He's the guy who's kind Frank of Miller is punched. like a
1: cross between like Pete Townsend and a corpse. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he looks kind of dead. He he looks a bit disheveled. Not not dead really. He's like he's like a cross between now like Pete Townsend and um, what's his name? Uh,
0: uh, kind of like Alan Moore, but <laughs> uh, nobody looks like Alan Moore. Actually, yeah, I take it back. Uh, but speaking of Alan Moore, though. Uh, have you seen V for Vendetta? I have seen V for Vendetta. I think that's a I
1: hear that the book is way better than
0: the film. Actually, it's funny. I, which is which is that's a DC movie technically. Technically, but, but it, Vertigo.
1: Eh. Vertigo published that, but I mean, well, but it is DC. We could briefly DC. visit. It. I even though it's you know, you know, uh, it it's this book which is you it's know very it's by political. Alan Moore. It, Which is, means it's going to be very political, and it's going to be very... Heady. Yeah, heady. But still, it made for a pretty rousing film. It made
0: for a fascinating movie, a very exciting movie. It fit the Wachowskis' spirit well, but they didn't direct it. Yeah. Uh, they gave it to somebody else. Um, and uh, who... Uh, Agent Smith. Oh, picture. God. Hugo Weaving. Hugo... He, the Red Skull He insult. gives an excellent performance as uh as V as the as technically as the voice of of V. He also, I think, was in the costume as well.
1: I thought there was a controversy about the guy who was actually in the costume. Oh, really? Trying to get uh, getting credit for his performance,
0: oh, and right. and I think Hugo he, was Weaving. He ju- but was he just a stuntman, or was he... he actually doing all like the dramatic work too? Well, I mean. Well, stuntmen are stuntmen.
1: They're going to do their job. Well, I but mean, I feel like the guy that we usually saw on film as V, I, maybe I'm talking out of my ass right now, but uh, what I remember hearing about the film is that it was someone else, and Hugo Weaving just did the voiceover. Not that Hugo Weaving's oh, performance oh, is, I, is, is
0: forgettable. No, he, he really acts it up. Um, well, from what I'm seeing here, certain scenes feature this guy named James Purefoy. Okay. And he was originally cast in the role, but re- he was replaced by Hugo Weaving four weeks into filming. And Weave- Weaving's voice was simply dubbed over this guy's performance. Uh, so this guy was part of the performance. Okay. Live action performance. But
1: Hugo Weaving was in the costume and... For some of it. Uh, what, what what kind of ratio are we looking at here?
0: Uh, Well, I mean, if it's uh four weeks into filming, that might be maybe like half or a third of the shoot. Huh. Wow, what could this a guy have done to? But point is though a very interesting movie. It touches on things that you normally wouldn't see in comic book movies. There's uh you know, there's actually kind of a touching love story in part of it. Yeah. You know, uh you know, it's a lesbian love story, but it's not treated as anything special. It's just these two women loved each other. It, it's yeah, it's not lurid, it's not it's yeah. not ex- exploitative. It, it's, it also was meant... it's
1: it's, kind, it's really kind of affectionate.
0: Yeah, and it's couched in between this big commentary, which um, I think at the time Alan Moore meant it to be a critique of Thatcherism yeah. and that type of uh, thing.
1: I mean, the book is far older than the than the film. No, but and but John that... John
0: Hurt also makes an impression because yeah, he's, uh, of course, a very ironic gesture because he's Big Brother.
1: Yeah, well, he was he was the main character of 1984. Well, that's why I meant. That's why I've. Well, yeah, and
0: he's playing the, the dictator. Also, yeah. uh, uh what's his name? Stephen Fry. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he's great in it. Yeah, they, I remember that was one of the Natalie first Portman, times that though. Natalie Portman's great in movies.
1: Yeah, I mean Natalie Portman, I always have this weird. Thought of Natalie Portman because she 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 wasn't she was such a huge part of the Star Wars prequel. so it feels like everything that from that taints oh, don't, we'll everything don't blame else. That. That. Yeah, I know. But then again, Black Swan is a really is a movie that I really enjoy, and she's great in that. But it, ah, I I got like this that, really? I got like this mental taint in my brain. You
0: can't you can't dislocate her from the from. from I, I should, like, but I feel like yeah. it's a problem. She yeah, those movies. You can tell that those movies are poorly directed in large part because she is bad in those prequels and it's well, not her talk well let's we talk not spend another.
1: any t- let's not spend any more time no, talking no, no, about no, the prequels no 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 that, no no but... <laughs> um yeah so what what um... i i, I got to be more i got i got to all right I, yeah my, Natalie Portman um the rocketeer oh i t- I watched the rocketeer again too did you yes oh Oh, the Rocketeer again! Alan Arkin.
0: <laughs> How do is. I look?
1: Like a hood ornament.
0: <laughs> but he doesn't have. He has a very straightforward voice. Like I was impressed. You know by what I did? Folklore. I
1: listened to our list movie episode where we talked about the Rocketeer. Okay. And I'm gonna try not to repeat myself. Okay. Uh. <laughs>
0: well, I haven't heard that in about a year. So go ahead.
1: Uh, but I mean the thing that I got from this viewing of the film is I wrote this down in my notes. It's like, God damn you, James Horner. Why do you make me feel emotions? Yeah. <laughs> that flight where he saves that guy from the plane. Yeah. And he just cruises across the countryside. It, the music and that whole scene just gets, gets me every time.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's the best 1940s Captain America movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's it's better than joe johnson's actual captain america movie
1: yeah but you can't blame joe johnson because that script had four writers yes
0: that's true there, there are a lot of cooks in that kitchen whereas you know rocketeer you just had to make sure you got timothy dalton right yeah and they did
1: and i i realize now the weakness of the rocketeer because the rocketeer is not flawless yeah it's it is th- it's a lot of fun it but, but it is the main character
0: He's not a great actor. No,
1: he's not a great actor, but again, he doesn't have a great it's he doesn't have much to work with because that character is so squeaky clean. Mm. Uh, in the comics, this is one of the few instances where I have comic knowledge here. Okay. In, in the comics, that character was much more of a rogue. He was a lot more like, you know, Indiana Jones. You see yeah. that guy on screen, you know that guy has a past. And yeah. that's that and that's
0: like and that's what Damn, what was his name again? the 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 character who yeah. not not just the rock oh oh god oh you're right oh what, what the hell was his name uh, Billy Campbell was the actor right he 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 played him but um Cliff Cliff Clifford yeah, yeah. well that's you know it's not very memorable name no but you know is his name like Cliff Clifford I mean
1: but that's but that's precisely the point he's He's just this kind of squeaky clean, very safe main character where, you know, in a movie for kids, fine, he's ideal. But I mean, what you needed was something more like in the comic book where he was this more roguish person who
0: Was he closer to like being a Han Solo?
1: Well, yeah, he, he kind of in that mold because he was kind of a guy who A smuggler. Who, not uh He he seemed like a guy who uh Roguish.
0: Yes. Is that a good term? We we brought that out from the closet. Well, I think I said it twice already, but... I'm sorry. I was trying to bring... It. I need another synonym for roguish, damn it. Yeah. But... He it had w- bravado. Yeah. He had some personality. Yeah, you, you would expect, like, if, if he took off his shirt, he might have a few scars underneath. Well, I guess, though, the thing... You know what would have been interesting? I guess it, it'll never happen because it, I guess, maybe it didn't make enough money or make enough impact. Imagine maybe the sequel to the Rocketeer, maybe you could have explored this guy, you know, outside, you know, the Rocketeer is an origin story. So maybe there it's okay that he's a little more squeaky clean. He just discovered this jet pack and he's getting a little bit into being this guy. Maybe in a sequel you could explore, okay, here's him maybe five or even 10 years later. And now he's had all this experience being the Rocketeer. Right. Now he's a little bit more world weary. He's seen a lot of things, yeah. Now he can have that I'm not going to say. It. File it under
1: Rocketeer. <laughs> fi- file it under Rocketeer sequels that'll never get made. Yeah. But he, I, but even though it. but even though Cliff isn't the greatest main character, The Rocketeer is still a really good movie.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I'm
1: not just because of the performances where you've got, you know, Jennifer Connelly and uh uh Paul Servino. Paul Sabino and Timothy Dalton, You also have uh, Ter- mentioned
0: uh, Terry O'Quinn. You're right, of course, how John Polito. Is. Who is he again? John Polito was this guy. Oh he, wait, is he Big the guy Lo? with the
1: mustache, the kind of short, stocky guy? He, who, you would you would
0: recognize him immediately if you saw him. He yeah. was in. Uh, he's been in a number of Coen's movies. He was in Miller's oh, Crossing. He's, he's he was in Barton
1: Fink. In Miller's Crossing, he's that.
0: I have enough with the high hat. Yeah, that guy. That guy.
1: Um, yeah, that, that guy, he, he's, he's another one. He's, he's that, he's one of those, that guys, one of those character actors who, who you've seen like probably in television about 20, 20 and times. Yeah. He, he's in a, he was also things. in the crow.
0: Oh, wait, was he? Let me, let me
1: just see He was here. a pawn shop owner.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh wait. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was in the crow. Yeah. He was in the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did, so did you rewatch the crow? Uh, well, I, I watched it for the first time. The Crow. Oh, okay. I had not seen that movie. God, that must have also been maybe 20 The years. Crow, if you watched it again... Does like it Remember up?
1: how I said that Sin City would be tired and, and, and strange if you had watched it again? Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't do that anymore? But The Crow is one of those things where you see like, Oh, I loved this when I was younger. And yeah, this definitely isn't as good as I thought it would be. I have a mm-hmm. feeling that it's that kind of movie. And it's not that it's it's not that it's a bad idea. I mean, Brandon Lee unfortunately didn't. Died in survive died uh, the production, yeah. and you can see that they were working around that a lot because yeah. a lot of that ta- a lot of times that character is seen from
0: behind and in shadow. Mm. And it's 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 it, obvious, and you can't. Does do they do they? I forget. Do they do the Plan Nine thing? Do they have like no? Him holding they up a cloak they do not have face. him holding a cloak over his face like. <laughs> Like the shadow, no. But <laughs> this moment in bad taste brought to you by me.
1: I am but you know, it's like you were talking about the Fast and the Furious movie, like which Paul well, Walker the, well, yeah. is going to is a digital effect or not.
0: Well that yeah, that happened last year. Uh, I mean by now it's surprise. I mean again, I don't know how much of that movie they had to replace with a CGI Paul Walker. I feel like they did a fairly seamless job in that movie. Yeah. Now, I imagine in 1994 they didn't have that technology. No,
1: so... so How much
0: of the movie would you say had that? Well, surprisingly,
1: I think they had shot enough of the film to get by. Okay. So Because,
0: you know, the absence of Brandon Lee is not a huge drain on this Does film. it take away, though, like, do you watch scenes and think... Shouldn't they have it on him, like, the camera on him in this moment?
1: There are a lot of scenes there that I see which are clearly meant to fill time. Yeah, They're showing, like, they're showing the crow, the character, just moving, like, wandering through a room and just kind of brooding. And it's like we got to make this film longer, and unfortunately Brandon Lee is dead. We have to do something to just make this film complete. Uh, so you feel it, but then when Brandon Lee comes
0: on screen, he's he was he was good. Yeah, no, I from what I can remember, he made a a good he made a strong presence in that movie. Yeah, and of course you wonder, you know, what could have happened had he lived. Um, I, but it's just, its such a pity. But yeah, what what a what a loss. Like I mean, again, and
1: it's—and it's, and I heard the story of what happened to him. And yeah, it's he just, got beheaded. No, 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 no. He Wasn't was that not beheaded? <laughs> no. Wasn't that what happened? No. What happened was this: uh,
0: he died Something. from a gunshot wound. Oh. Oh, jeez, Okay. And it was basically—it okay. was—it was—it was—they it was, it was thought it was a prop gun. Well, no. Here's
1: what happened, like. I'm reading it now. I I heard this from uh, from uh, the the Ten Minutes About Your Favorite Movie podcast. Rob Matsushita talked about this. Okay, and it was this this thing like they had to make dummy bullets for a gun because you have to sh- you have to have shots of a gun being loaded, so you need things that look like actual bullets. You can't mm-hmm. shoot bu- look you can't shoot uh, a f- uh, a film of blanks because blanks look like blanks. So you have to make these things called dummy bullets which are aren't bullets but they I'm I'm reading them. yeah I have the which aren't bullets but they they look like bullets. Yeah. Now unfortunately what happened was they decided to just take real bullets and just take out the gunpowder which should have theoretically made them safe but unfortunately if you don't know anything about guns you can take out the gunpowder but what you leave in in the gun, in the bullet is this thing called the primer which is what the hammer hits and what sets and it's a small explosion that sets off the big explosion of the bullet which pushes the bu- the bullet down the barrel of the gun. Now the pow- the powder was gone but the primer was still in there so when someone pulled the trigger on a gun it set off the primer and that moved the bullet through the barrel but it didn't come out because there wasn't enough force. Yeah. So when they loaded that gun with blanks there was all that power behind a bullet that was stuck in the barrel oh. and that's
0: how he got shot. Yeah, and apparently the footage was actually caught on camera. Oh no. Like they actually and they ended up developing the film and used it in the as evidence in as in the investigation of his death. Yeah. And I mean and it's just
1: such a thing where unless you were a person who knew about guns then it it seems like a mysta- a very plausible on un-
0: very unfortunate mistake. It's a very strange thing too. It's one of those things that ends up becoming one of those huger, the hu- no, huger. It becomes one of those stories that gains grandiosity also because of just who he was. Yeah. Because Bruce Lee died in mysterious circumstances while making Game of Death. Well, what
1: what killed Bruce Lee wasn't exactly mysterious. The man just had a. I, the man just. Uh, wasn't it a heart heart thing? I I I'm not gonna say what killed Bruce Lee all because right, I'm really right. not sure. But but uh, but the thing is, the Crow. But let's talk the about film, the movie itself. Yeah, the film, has it dated. It is kind
0: of dated. Yeah, it, it, feels, it feels very mid '90s. It
1: feels very '90s, very emo, goth, very. <laughs> I I feel, very I very much the, like the
0: sort of teen angst, uh, dress up in black. I remember the feeling. soundtrack of that movie. I might have also seen the sequel, too. They did a sequel called The Crow, City of Angels. I think there was actually a planned TV series of The Crow Mm. that got a pilot and everything. There's still talk here and there about making a reboot of The Crow.
1: And I don't think that's a bad idea because The Crow, as a character, doesn't... He seems like an interesting character. You can do things with that. Well, it's a revenge story, right? Yeah. Uh, But uh, the problem with the film also is, in terms of writing, all the female characters in that only exist to motivate the 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 main character. It's like you know, his girlfriend is brutally murdered, and she doesn't play a part a a part in the film meaningful other than that. Also, there's another little girl who just becomes a hostage who doesn't do much else, and she's actually kind of a punk, so you don't like her. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But it's it's just it's kind of dated though. Yeah, And it feels like, and it's one of those things, I talked to you a little bit about this, watching The Crow, it feels like a precursor to Sin City. Mm.
0: So it's that heavily stylized.
1: Yeah, I it, like where, that I sort remember, of twisted cityscape. And, yeah, it's
0: very black.
1: Yeah, and the, the dark look to it, I mean, I don't even mean like dark as in brooding and foreboding, I mean just nighttime dark yeah i don't think it's ever been daytime in sin city or wherever the hell the crow took place (laughs) yeah but it's okay but you can look at that things like of like people jumping across rooftops and like poor people in the pouring rain and the sort of brutal violence that takes place in the crow and you can see the seeds of what would become sin city mm-hmm they're kind of interesting in its own way. Oh, I'm sure. But it uh, is. Uh,
0: but as ter- in terms of a film, it's it just hasn't held up. Yeah. Um. Well, to talk about a movie that I think will hold up pretty well over time. Uh, another. I, I
1: wish I had time to actually read the comics of uh, of
0: films that we were talking about, but unfortunately. Well, you know what's funny though? We're talking about all these movies. I was going to talk about something else, but now you're making me think about. You know that that crow came out in 1994. What also comes out in 1994 is the mask. Oh. but Jim Carrey, which i it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. But when I was a kid, I liked that movie a lot. Really? You know, that was, yeah. I, you know, and I was The
1: Mask, a, technically a, a comic book movie. It
0: is. Even though it's very different from its source material. Uh, Doug perhaps Wa- Well, well Doug Walker, the better. <laughs> did you watch the Doug Walker video? I did. That's That surprised me, the fact that The Mask, the comic book, is about as violent as a Frank Miller comic book. Yeah, but in, but, in a vi- but in a more unsettling way. Well, yeah, because it's involving well, it involves somebody who puts on a mask and then brutally kills people. Yeah, and but it's not... in
1: funny cartoonish
0: ways, which are horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it, the, and the color of the book is also horrifying because everything's very bright and you know colorful, and everything pops out at you, and it's like ah ha ha dead. Yeah. Whereas you watch The Mask and at least and the tone there fits it better. Like when I watched The Mask, the movie, I, I, I just remember that was one of those movies where I just knew and Jim Carrey's gonna be around for a while. Yeah. That whole year was where, you know, you got Ace Ventura and The Mask and Dumb and Dumber. And then of course the next year you got Batman Forever and it's just Man, Jim Carrey, your world's the world's your oyster.
1: Not a great time for the Crow, a great time for or comic book movies, a great time for Jim Carrey. Yeah, mid nineteen nineties. Yeah, you go. a
0: strange time for comic book movies that weren't DC or Marvel. You get stuff like the Crow and the Mask, and then, uh, um, oh God, what 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 else was there? Um. I'm, oh, Men in Black, then. You oh, yeah. have that. Well, Men in Black was a good movie. Yeah. Well, The Mask, I, I, I think, it's kind of a good movie. Oh, yeah. For what it's trying to do. Well, actually, I haven't seen either, so... Wow. And the, the Mask is so much fun. I'll have to lend that to you sometime. As far as being... Taking the tone of early 1940s Looney Tunes-style humor yeah. and putting that into a live-action movie, it works really well. Because the rest of the world... It is kind of comic booky, but it feels realistic. And then you put Jim Carrey in there, and who the the, the a, a walking, talking cartoon. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but uh, but let's move on from from America for a moment because, Old Boy, hmm. is I think by far one not just one of the great movies based on uh, a comic book. It's just one of the great adaptations as well. Um. You know, that was based on I don't know if that was from Japan or South Korea it could have been Korean
1: because Korea does have its own um, for lack of a better word
0: graphic novel I'm sure they have industry a, oh yeah absolutely I'm sure they have an industry too. I, if he,
1: there's there's manga in Japan there's an equivalent to that in uh, in Korea which I don't remember the name to you, right now
0: and that's well a lot of countries have that I mean France had well each their comic each books. country
1: has its own uh, comic and and graph and graphic storytelling traditions it's just uh yeah. it's it's
0: just like korea has its own version of manga yeah and you know even uh, tintin which we could talk about in a little bit but old boy is one of those films that when i first saw it it, it really knocked me back <laughs> because it it's a director really showing you something that Okay, I'm going to show you something you haven't quite seen this way before. Eating a live octopus. Live octopus. Here's a guy fighting in a hallway for five minutes, and I'm not going to stop the shot.
1: Everybody talks about the old boy fight with the hammer,
0: and rightfully so because yeah. it's particularly brutal. And there are me- and there are things several that he does with a hammer. There are several moments in that fight where you think, okay, now it's over. No, he gets back up. Oh my god, what And did you see the you, remake? You- yes.
1: Okay, so how did that how did that measure up? Um, Josh Brolin again.
0: It the first fifteen minutes are are good because it feels like Spike Lee is trying something different with the material. All right. Uh, my but then as soon as Josh Brolin gets out of the room, uh, you know that he's been locked in for all these years, you know, and it we should say that the story of Old Boy, this guy. Uh, gets kidnapped and put into a room for 15 years. He doesn't know why he's there and then one day he's just let out and mm-hmm. he tries to find out why he was in this room the oh, whole Dai time. Su. Odaisu. Oh, Sue in the old boy. I forget what Brolin's character is in the Spike Lee movie. Um, the problem is in the... Old f- guy Sue. Brolin... Life ain't easy for an old guy Sue. Broline Sue. Oh god. <laughs> It's not as bad as Andrewina. I don't know. All right. The problem with the rest of the movie, um, and there's a pretty capable cast. I will say the best thing probably about that Spike Lee version is uh, Samuel Jackson. Mm. He plays the role of the like you know caretaker the, of the, the of, mini of, prison. Yeah, you know because when Josh Brolin he comes back to the prison to wreak havoc, and uh, and yeah Samuel Jackson is there and. That their whole scene between Brolin and Jackson is just fantastic. There is a thing I will take issue with with the movie Old Boy, the original. Okay, please. Uh, Which is, but, but I, let me just finish though. The remake ends up. It tries to t- feel like okay, we're going to do something different this time, and then it totally doesn't. Hmm. It, it 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 feels like it cheats, and that to it's me. Like...
1: The first part seems like it's building towards something different. Yes. But it, then it's it, it
0: doesn't no. plan out and you wonder why did they even bother? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like it starts with a director saying, Okay, I like your first movie. I'm gonna try something different with it. Uh no, I, I actually kinda like doing it.
1: They went the safe route. Yeah.
0: But what what's your problem? The thing with Old I, Boy?
1: The issue I will take with Old Boy is this sort of Perhaps this is a nitpick. It depends on how you look at it. But the way which... This is not a spoiler. The way in which hypnotism plays a part. Hmm. I mean... It took me out of the movie because there were certain things I am like... Hypnotism can't do that. (laughs) Oh, really? Yes. I mean... And I'm not going to say what, but you you who have seen it know what I'm talking about. I... And uh, simply speaking... That is not possible in a real world, and that's unfortunate because old uh, old boy is such a. Um Emotionally it, it's, gripping movie. It's, yeah, but it's also quite real realistic. I mean, is it likely someone's going to lock someone up in a private prison for fifteen years? No, but that's something that can happen. Yeah. I mean, the other stuff that I'm talking about that can't happen in a real world and in a film which is so brutal and so it feels so real, it it, it breaks. And mm. I feel as if maybe they had to find some way to wrap it up because Old Boy is is several not is several volumes long. I've read yeah. the first volume of oh. Old Boy. And it starts out like uh, the movie, like the movie, and I don't know how it turns out, but it, it's
0: so maybe this they had may to... have been
1: a problem of adaptation um, where they had to abridge the end okay. and tie it all together. And who knows, even if the end had been written yet, mm. I,
0: maybe if I read the rest of those volumes of Old Boy, I'll find something different. Maybe I, I could see that point. I, I it didn't bother me just because maybe I don't know as much about hypnotism as you do, so. Maybe I was buying into it more in the scope of here, for the sake of this character in this story, and try and be careful not to reveal anything spoilery, but for what the story was asking hypnotism to do, it worked for me. Uh, well, well, again, we, we can't. Ultimately,
1: we... though, I think, is that I think you can ignore it. Uh, it, mm. it may be a it, it it's is contrivance. A, it is a contrivance, but it's certainly a contrivance you can live with. Okay,
0: I, I I think that's fair.
1: Okay. Um, oh, let me go. Or do you have more to say about Old Boy?
0: <laughs> no, please, please.
1: All right. So, Dread.
0: Okay, so you watched this the first time.
1: I watched Dread. Yeah,
0: and had you seen the raid before? I have seen the raid. So. Yeah, yeah,
1: basically this plot is lifted from the raid. I don't have a problem with that because they do something different and it's
0: somewhat, but I don't know. I think again, if I saw Dread again, maybe I could try to watch it as its own thing. I saw Dread not too soon after I saw the first movie of the raid. And it just seems so striking how closely those two scenarios were. The fact yeah. that they're both in a giant apartment complex, and the fact that our main characters face a whole group of people with guns.
1: Well, the thing is, is that Dread did not have hand to hand fight scenes that overstayed their welcome <laughs> towards the end.
0: No, but I. But at least those fights, it was something that, okay, you're really. Yeah, I mean, are some of these fights going a little long? Sure, but you are showing me real skill, whereas if you're just firing a gun over and over again at a certain point, yeah. to me, that, that starts to lose its power.
1: And although, the, And the action doesn't have much energy to it. It just kind of unfolds in a very young very casual way there's very little energy and it doesn't feel like this is this is not moving forward at a breakneck pace which is which is what the raid was and it did that very well up until the end when it kind of gets too long yeah uh but the thing that interests me about dread is well first of all there is there's a difference between what i know of the comic series judge dread i haven't read but it's it's a much very it's a very satirical in some ways, I think. Thing, uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's a British comic, actually.
0: Yeah, it's from 2000 AD comics. Occasionally, they'll do a crossover with Batman. Right. And Judge Dredd
1: is is supposed to be this very this more uh this more thoughtful satirical take on the sort of action excesses of the 80s yeah. and and things
0: like that and in this film the satirical element is gone it's it's a it's a serious the people who really love dread are people who are just like i want a serious dread movie i want to see him kill lots of people i want to see him with the mask over his face we never see his eyes and right. we don't to be fair though carl urban does a pretty good job
1: yeah, all, I mean, you could say that all he had to do
0: was scowl for about <laughs> for about four weeks. Hey, that was a really... That, that lip really did, went to acting school. <laughs> if you're, you can't see it now, but Andrew was just doing a dread scowl. Just, and just moment, put on
1: some sunglasses and I'm just... <laughs> right now, I, I am, am, am the law. And, and all that satire is gone. I mean, in the world of in the world of dread yeah. the judges these hyperviolent law enforcers are basically seen as as pretty much good yeah there there <laughs> there is no drawback like they save people they kill criminals there is no moral gray about this film yeah uh, and you know uh, and uh, it <laughs> and that's kind of weird yeah uh, for one thing but then the thing that is
0: interesting about Dread is that it's it's no great movie. No, I I, I find it slightly it's been slightly oh, I hate to say this because it wasn't terribly successful at like the box office, but now it has this huge huge group of fans. It has a huge following of people who are like Dread, yes. And I often picture these people in like heavy metal t shirts or I don't know or. Or maybe I have friends. I have friends. No, Uh, no, no. no, no. I I have friends who really love this movie, too. And I get it, but it's just. There's not that much there, there. And there could have been. There's not much there, but what I think is interesting about it is that it's
1: like. It's hard to put this into words. But I like Dread. I'm not crazy about it. Yeah. But it's like. Ah. It's really like... Some of it's odd. It is not bad.
0: (laughs) I like Dread. I'm not crazy about it, but it's not bad. (laughs) No, but it's like with a
1: certain film, you could say there are things about it that I liked and there are things about it I disliked. Like That's like the -the middle-of-the-road, mediocre film. Hmm. And if I were to say, make a list of things I like about Dread and a list of things I don't like about Dread... I would have maybe one thing I don't like about this film, and maybe about five things I like. Okay, then so and it's it just seems like it's written ably. Yeah. There are no boring conversations. There are no like real lulls in the action. You know there's no pesky romance. There's no there's no fat on this film. And there are just some good middling things that just make it an entertaining experience, and no more than that. It, you know, and, uh, but I... And do I care about dread? <laughs> Judge Dredd, uh, the character? No. Maybe not particularly, but I do see he does have... Potential. The, he has the shallowest of character arcs, but it's still a character arc, which a lot of other mediocre movies don't have. And his partner, I like her, I like where she starts, and I like where she ends up and i like how it ends and it's just okay all right and there's very little to draw it down it's like if you have a very middling movie that has almost no no serious flaws
0: yeah
1: it's just it's like it's like a it's like a student who earns a b minus
0: ah that's a good you, way you're to like
1: play. well okay you're not getting a c but i mean it's nothing to celebrate over
0: <laughs> You know, it's one of the things that I think gives this a B-minus is the villain. Lena Headey. Mm. I just... You know I, She has shown so much range and so much depth on uh, Game of Thrones, which I know you don't watch that show. No. But she plays a character who, over the course of these years, you've seen her go different places, and you've seen this woman who... You know, even knows herself, this character that she plays on Game of Thrones, is kind of a bitch. Not kind of, she is. But through this, you see her as being very human. Here, she's basically somebody who poses a lot, and then occasionally there will be a drug sequence. Yeah. And those drug sequences are just... You know, because part of the thing, too, with this movie, it was meant to be seen in 3D. I think I saw it in 3D. I, I forget if I did. And some of those scenes are just... Where characters go into that weird drug motion mode yeah i yeah. I could see they were trying something different there. It didn't really add much to the movie. no, it didn't add much All but, right. th- you're, but you're, by the you're, same you're, token
1: by the same token, there's n- not much to dislike about dread it It's just kind of there. it unfolds at this very casual pace and no no heart pounding thrills, but I mean. If you want to be entertained and not be annoyed, I mean, you and I, we've seen annoying films. Yeah. There's nothing annoying
0: about Dread. It's just kind of entertaining. No. You know what it is? It's also expectations for me cuz I went into Dread hearing and maybe you didn't have this experience, so it was different.
1: Yeah, for you. you and I, we have a different we experience with ex- with expectations. You seem to owe you seem to have higher expectations for things, see, and I tend to walk into things blind. See,
0: that's you're you, that's you're... usually just how it ends up well well no that's why one of us is on social media and one of us is not yeah that's which one is <laughs> you know I'm on social media and I end up hearing the buzz about certain things and that not necess- that doesn't influence me with stuff like Batman Superman or even uh, or like 10 Cloverfield Lane but if I hear things about uh Oh god, what was it? Um like I went into uh, Jungle Book. Uh this is a side note, but I had heard I had actually heard a lot of great things about that going to that movie. I'm like, "Oh, okay, maybe this will live up to the original." Hmm. And it does not. But <laughs> maybe that's my problem. And you know, that's why sometimes I need to revisit certain movies with new expectations. I hadn't thought about the social me- social media angle. No.
1: No, <laughs> I, I had no idea that you were getting all these, uh, getting all this hype from social media. I mean, basically because I'm not on it. This is perfect,
0: Andrew. I have wonders to show you <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah, but I, do I want to give up this and my and my non and my non existent expectations?
0: This is also true. Yeah, I No, no, I mean, that's why it usually is best when you go into a movie totally blind. Uh, this is an, another one of
1: those weird experiences where I've never seen a movie that left that kind of impression before.
0: Of uh, With Dread?
1: Yeah. Huh,
0: you can't really think of one in a while?
1: I've never had a film experience where I was like, that was not bad, and it had good <laughs> things about See, it.
0: See, it's funny, though, because going back I, to I, the star of our discussion, that's how I felt about Two Guns. Yeah which is strange I know for you to hear that but that's how I I, I found that movie I'm like that's not bad yeah. I love that movie saying that like there was nothing in Two Guns that annoyed me but I, again maybe that might also be I've seen a, a lot of other you know what it could be movies. about
1: Two Guns too. Yeah. Not 2 not the sequel to Two Guns I mean you what know you what mean three guns <laughs> <laughs> you know what the thing with me about Two Guns why I might have liked it so much? Right. Because when I was starting this, I thought, all right, let me see what kind of movies I can find that are based on graphic novels and things. And Two Guns came up and I'm like, oh, Two Guns. Mm. I mean, this this seems like it's going to be just another this seems like it's going to be Bad Boys. Ah, so Expectations got you. Well, in a good way, though, because I'm like, oh, well, it's in my library. Right. Why not pick it up? Because, now, you know, do the thing. And then I watched it, and I'm like, this is so much better than I thought it would ever be.
0: Now, can I just bring up a movie, though, because all this talk makes me think of something that I really want to mention before I forget. American Splendor. This, uh... Oh, the
1: one about, um... Harvey Carr. Right. I've seen this.
0: Yeah. Now, I went into Paul this... Paul Giamatti. Yeah. Yeah, Paul Giamatti. Paul Motti. G. Motti. Yeah, I'm I'm Paul Giamatti. I'm I'm a file. Clerk. You know what? Paul Giamatti
1: is the only person in this world, I think, who could pick up Heath Ledger's
0: mantle as the Joker. What? I think he could do it. Well, that, that's moot because they've already <laughs> got someone else as the Joker. They got. Geralito. But if you were
1: going to do that Joker, N- no, I think Paul Giamatti could do
0: it. What? Yes. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Oh man. You know it's funny though. You know Paul like,
1: Giamatti just seems to have you know like, when he has that nervous energy in him, he seems But he doesn't look at all like Heath Ledger. I'm talking about performance here. Of well, course I, he doesn't look like Heath Who looks like Heath Ledger? I don't know. <laughs> no. Joseph Gordon Levitt? Well wow. <laughs> Except for the hair, but hair is different. But I but you, if you, if you were to ask me the if there was an actor skilled enough to do that, I would say Paul Giamatti.
0: Okay, I I I can't spend all night you arguing with you You seem skeptical. About this. I don't see him as the Joker. You know what the funny thing is, though. You know what he was cast as. Uh, do you know? Uh, see, I haven't still I still haven't seen this movie because I, you know, again hearing about things that are bad in social media. Amazing Spider-Man Two. Right. He plays the the Rhino. Huh. Do you know who Rhino is? Yeah. He's a guy in a gigantic metal suit who's like... Raaah! He basically does that, apparently, for 10 minutes of Amazing Spider-Man 2. Nice. That's Paul Giamatti. But in American Splendor... So I went into this knowing nothing about that comic book or Harvey P. Carr. Same with me. And I, I really love this movie. This is probably one of my favorite films of the 2000s. The thing like, it doesn't tr- get into, like, the top 10. And I'm not even talking about comic book movies. I just mean movies generally speaking yeah because it just it's i actually kind of connected with it because for a lot of years and even occasionally part-time to this day i've worked as a file clerk so i know what it's kind of like to be just in that lonely space of work where you're just kind of there doing stuff yeah um you've lived the life i've i've lived the life of a file clerk (laughs) yes i have been to the mountaintop and I've seen much paperwork. Uh, but what were you about to say?
1: I was going to say the thing I like about American Splendor is that it's not just the the story yeah. in that comic. It's also the real Harvey Pekar is in it. Yeah. And he's talking about making the comic... And just about his life, and meanwhile, Paul Giamatti is somewhere else in the same shot.
0: Other 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 <laughs> real people from P. Carr's life are in it too. Yeah, it's, like it's his wife and the guy who plays uh, Toby, I think his well, name.
1: Because American Splendor is I mean, when you're you're thinking about like artists like Art Crumb and and Daniel Close, this sort of that sort of scene of like. Uh people who are trying to draw made by real comics. people. Yeah. I mean it Well, I mean not that no one's a real person. No, <laughs> no, no, I mean no, is... no.
0: But but Picard talks in the movie, he he has like a conversation with Crumb in one scene where he's like, you know, how come comics don't try to do stuff like Vittorio de Sica does in Italy? You because know. De
1: Sica is depressing?
0: Well, I mean De Sica you...
1: depressing
0: <laughs> pow. What? I didn't even get that joke. <laughs> See, at least my bad jokes. You're, you're going to cut that one out of
1: the uh, podcast,
0: right? <laughs> no, I'm leaving this shit in. Um, okay. Oh man. All right. This movie, yeah, it, it's very. It has some bitter humor to it. It's very. It, yeah. It's extremely realistic. It's basically. You know, I'm. I I you know I'm going to use the medium of comic books to detail things I just notice about my day. It's not also it's also not like stuff like Seinfeld would do mm. on his show. It's like, what's with this person online? You always notice this woman online who checks out all these items and she has these particular things that she checks out. And that's a comic book. <laughs> I and I love that. You know, you just yeah, I love the hybrid aspect of it. The fact that it's a fictionalized take on it, but you cut in the real Harvey P car. And so it adds this extra dimension to it. Yeah, it's not. It's it shows you okay yeah it's like the film is a larger box around the artist and the comics within. Oftentimes it's you have a movie and you say well it's based on a true story and then you have the actors play the characters. But right. here it's um it 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 adds another dimension to it. it. It's it's like um it's like the beyond the valley of the dolls of comic book movies, but. <laughs> In that in that court of irreverent style, and yet taken down to the level of something like uh I don't know, like Louis C K does or huh, something. That's an interesting that way very you know I'm just gonna get a lot of really sad dark humor, um and but it's fascinating. Just like yeah, you'll you'll have a scene where he's about to go on Letterman, and Paul G.M.I. is playing him, and then he'll leave the room, and then you see the actual Letterman appearance on the tv screen right so i i i love this movie it's just really insightful to how you know how to live and you know even the whole thing of him asking well who is harvey p you know um who is john galt? <laughs> john galt uh i don't know any other movies you want to bring up yes
1: blue is the warmest color Yeah. Now, I don't want to talk too much about this film, because...
0: Had you watched it? I I did watch it, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, The thing that I think it's important to notice about Blue is the Warmest Color is that... Aside from being French. Right. How (laughs) did I know a film that would have a color in its title would be French? Yeah. But it's like... uh, I think it really highlights... It's a strange thing, because it's a film that highlights the... The narrative strength of the graphic novel itself. Blue is the warmest color is the story of it's uh, of a woman who uh, is you know is having her sexual awakening. She uh, it's her first foray into lesbianism, and with the, and she meets this uh,
0: college art student, and they they hit it off, and they they form a life together. But then she also then she, they have their ups and downs, and she yeah finds it, someone else. And... I, and
1: I think this is the strength of graphic novels, where you can. You can take a very long story that doesn't necessarily have form like a life, and you take that you turn it into a graphic novel, and that's uh and that's something that the graphic novel is very much at home with mm. the the th- even things like American splendor where it's just you noticing things about your life mm-hmm. and even, and there's no grand plot to it you may not even have a plot structure, but it's observations about life it's it's a it's a it's a look back at how you lived. Or or just another person lived, and you have the little moments where it's just, you know, everyday life. Yeah, and I think that is. Uh, that is the kind of narrative that that the graphic novel serves the best.
0: Yeah, that's it. That's an interesting because I point.
1: because this film it's it's a very long film about three hours long. Oh
0: yeah, I I would almost, I uh, it it's it, it sounds bad for me to say this I. I wasn't really feeling the length of the movie until maybe the last half hour. Yeah. I, I, because you're having this, it, when that breakup happens, it's after like... that breakup, the movie kind of just drags along a little bit and yeah. it finally ends at a point where it feels like, okay, I see why why it ended here, but there's a lot, but there's a good, there's a lot of minutes. In like that last half hour, that I'm like, okay, get 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 on with it. Yeah. And I and hate it, to and I hate to feel like that because so much of what comes before it is really moving, and you really get involved with this girl's story. And you know, it's not even so much about oh, she's a lesbian. And and of course, the movie's rated NC-17. So if you decide to watch it, no, there is some there is graphic sex depicted, but it's truthful. I, I gotta say. Well, uh, what are you about to say? Uh-oh, Andrew's like, about to uh, get sexual on us. We we had a question.
1: We asked each other once. I think it was one during like our second sex episode. Okay. Are sex scenes in films sexy? Mm. These sex scenes were sexy. <laughs> they were pretty nice, man. And I, and I don't mean to just boil no. this film down to it's sex scenes. But if there, it... if I ever have to say, what... What is the sexiest fil- sex scene you've ever seen? I'm gonna point to blue as the warmest color. I
0: forget. Maybe I did I bring this up on one of the sex episodes? Possibly. I I might have because I only listened to the old Rocketeer episode. I didn't listen to the sex one. Yeah. Um. It no. It it I but I feel like it's it's sexy, but it's also meant to be authentic and it lend lend itself. A lot of this movie's tone is very much. Let's just follow this girl's life. And it doesn't have that traditional structure, as you said, closer to a graphic novel. Now I didn't read the graphic novel this is based on. Neither did so I. So I don't know whether it's close or not. Uh I saw the graphic novel cover and the when the one thing it you know it had the girl's blue hair. Right. Which Leia Seydoux has that. Um It's inter- it's an interesting movie too, because at first that actress Adele oh, I don't even want Menzina. I'm gonna throw some, yeah. Adele Dazim. Oh my god! No, um, no, no, no. Uh, her name, her first name is Adele, but her last name is just hard to pronounce. It's uh, Archelopolis it uh, yeah. or something. Um, at first I thought maybe, all right, she's she's playing it very naturalistic. She's probably not a trained actress. As the movie went on, I thought she got better. Hmm. And I know I hate to use that word better, but I felt like she you know it maybe because the character was maturing or discovering new things maybe that made it feel a little more organic there is an interesting about
1: it i mean this this narrative covers the space of several years yeah and you see that
0: character who starts as a high school girl she looks grown up at the end of that film yeah and i don't know how much time the the movie covers but but I mean, but she's—it's presumably several years because she's going through college and she's getting a job that
1: she talked about earlier in the film. And yeah. it, people are moving on with their lives and going into different stages of their lives. It's not like over one summer or the or the course of one year. It's a, it's a very significant time period in a person's life. And she starts off at this, as this uh, as a teenager. Yeah, I mean, an older teenager, granted. Mm-hmm. But I mean, by the time you get to the end of that film, she's certainly an adult. Yeah, she looks like an adult. Yeah, no. You I, know, credit to the filmmaker, credit to the makeup, credit to the costuming. I mean, yeah, it, it's fun. It's I just, can't point to a single thing that makes her look older, but I mean, it's uh, yeah. it's uh, great craftsmanship.
0: Yeah, this is uh, in an um, interesting trivia. This was uh, the film that when a few years ago, when Steven Spielberg was the head of the uh, Cannes Film Festival jury, he gave this uh, the Golden Palm. And, uh, and he actually, unlike in other years where you just get the director, he also brought up the two girls. On you, stage you know two. what
1: that gives me an idea to do? Mm. We're going to have our own award for the Wages of Cinema called the Golden Palm. And it'll be a hand. Did you say palm? Palm. And it'll be a hand raised like this that's just painted gold. And when people, we give it to people, we, they do a high
0: five to it. But that's, isn't that kind of ripping off what Ken's? No. Statu- they're, palm? they're talking
1: about a palm branch, a piece of a tree oh well i'm talking about yeah
0: Hmm. okay
1: you're gonna cut this out of
0: the podcast right how about the golden (laughs) wrist instead like that's stupid jack that's a terrible idea (laughs) um a couple more movies i just want to mention before we get out of here um well akira Akira. That's one of the big ones, of course. That we've talked about. That in the uh, past. another one, another graphic novel that was not finished by the time the film came out. No, they were still making the movie, and, while the, and, and that graphic novel is huge, isn't it? Well, I heard that's pretty long. It's not like
1: it's, it's a number of issues. It, it's it's a number of volumes. I yeah. think I mean, when you I think when uh, you look at the entire. Uh, if you had this whole set of graphic novels like only only half of that was done by the time the film came out yeah. which is why Akira's ending seems kind of incomplete and, and a little rushed mm-hmm. which you know you can't blame it on it's still a fantastic piece of animation yeah but i and the little piece of trivia that i told you about this is katsuhiro otomo the, cr- the creator of the manga he was trying to finish it without success and the person who came to him and gave him the inspiration necessary to finish Akira was our good old friend Alejandro Jodorowsky.
0: Oh, I forgot. Yeah, you did tell me that. Yes. Good for him.
1: Yeah. I, because, as you and I both know, Jodorowsky
0: went on to he, He's written with, several comic books. Yeah. Uh, the Inkle and... And you've uh, read them. I've read one of them. Yeah, one of I them. I didn't read okay, all, of all of them. I, I read The Inkle. And that's uh, that's confusing. I, I need to give that another shot. Yeah. Because you know, again, it's Joe Derosky writing a comic book. It's very heady. But
1: from uh, from a relationship that came out of his Dune project with Mo- with Mobius. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, g- yeah. He he. Ooh, can I take a little uh, sidetrack because we've talked about Mobius? Yeah, please, please. Another movie based on comics is. Little Nemo's Adventures in Slumberland, which I've talked about a little bit, so I'm not going to talk a lot about it. You did talk
0: about that a while ago.
1: Yeah, and it's based off of a newspaper comic uh, by one of the greatest comic artists of of all time. Uh, But it's... The film, even though it's extremely bland and forgettable, there was concept work done by uh, Mobius for that film. So that's
0: our little... uh, Thing. Right on. Nice. Very cool. And well speaking of uh comic books from that, you know, different out there type of spectrum, when I mentioned earlier Tintin, uh that's Spielberg's one and only comic book adaptation. Yeah. And, you know, quite an excellent one. You know, that's basically uh what I consider to be another Indiana Jones movie and surely one of the best ones. Yeah. Um, you know, another character going after an elusive object um lots of intrigue, villains, lots of great cast, colorful so villains, colorful villains, expert technology exotic locales, one of the greatest retro sh- technology. Yeah, and then you have one of the greatest wonder shots ever following that chase through the city for that one little object. Right. Uh which
1: just, which because of animation was inevitable. That's possible. But I mean it took a ton of work to get that. Yeah. Like, it's uh, like watching, okay, we can do this shot
0: but it's going to take us it's going to take a lot of work. But. Uh, watching that movie the first time, I I had one of those weird moments where I was literally sitting in the theater and during the middle of that shot I'm like, "Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> They're really doing this." And it just uh like cuz I was already into the movie by that point, but sometimes you'll watch a movie and there'll come that moment where you're suddenly like, Ooh, I love this movie now. Yeah. Or I like this character now. Like, uh... uh, Yeah, and th- that was that moment for me. I should read some of the Tintin books. I've heard they're
1: pretty good. I, I remember people reading them when
0: I was in elementary school. So. They had, like, an animated series from that, didn't they? I Maybe think it was, was probably in Europe. It I might have come to Nickelodeon. Like, because of all things, the Tintin, May- Tintin l- movie was a Nickelodeon production. Interesting. Yeah. Uh... So, also, Fritz the Cat. Eh. <laughs> the less said about that, the better. Um, Funny, that's what I was going to say. All right. Uh, and, of course, I mentioned Men in Black earlier, which, you know, yeah. I haven't a, it, seen Men in Black or read any of the comics, so I'm afraid I can't well, say much about well, it. Well, I haven't read the comics, but shame on you for not seeing the movie. Okay. That you need to get on. I think you will enjoy Men in Black quite a bit. That seems to be uh, <laughs> the kind of humor that you appreciate, I feel like, is in that movie. Okay. I watched uh, the a. There was an animated series. I heard that wasn't that bad. I think by that point I'd stopped watching cartoons. A lot of, well, no, it's not. That I stopped watching them, but I took a break.
1: <laughs> Mother, father, I'm taking a break from cartoons this year.
0: I'm taking a break from cartoons. I'm going to begin my commitment to Tolstoy. <laughs> <laughs> but you're 14 so watch um uh also i got to mention road to perdition because that's another film uh, yeah i saw that, that is a gritty examination of uh a ba- father and son
1: based based on a graphic novel which is based on lone wolf and
0: cub yeah well, which
1: was which is you know we know that as a film as a shogun assassin yeah which is then the mount ma- and the manga is lone wolf and cub which i've read I've read several volumes of Lone Wolf and Cub. Oh. And uh, have you ever read it? Hmm. Lone Wolf and Cub is the most manliest thing you will <laughs>
0: ever read. And I don't even mean like Judge Dredd like huge muscles. Do you mean more like well, you mean like a Clint Eastwood badass type of thing?
1: It's like But it's quintessentially Japanese. It's like it's the kind of manliness that's like I will go out and fight. I will definitely die. But I will still go out and fight. Yeah, closer <laughs> to that... uh,
0: how Ronan uh, operate. Yes, I and gotcha. it's and
1: it's that all the way through. It, yeah. and it's like it's full of people who are like, my manliness dictates that I fight th- this this battle,
0: and I will just do it because. I am a goddamn man. (laughs) I feel like that's an element in Road to Perdition when you think about it.
1: To a certain extent, yes. Tom Hanks
0: has that. Jude Law has that.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're men governed by their roles and
0: their destinies, not necessarily by their desires. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit more... It's an interesting hybrid because, on the one hand, it's based on a comic book that itself is based on Lone Wolf and Cub, but it's also placed in the early thirties gangster world of Chicago in the Midwest. Which so is, like Al uh, which Capone is, is like a background character in that story. Well you never see him. But no, you, no, but they mention him. Yeah. So you know that it's like he says like, I gotta make Capone give up Carter or yeah. something like that. And it's like, oh, okay.
1: Also it has a great scene of Paul Newman beating up <laughs> <laughs> Yes, seating up. Paul Daniel Newman Craig. beats the
0: crap out of Daniel Craig in a scene, and it's so good. <laughs> and he actually says, "I curse you." Yeah. Um. Good uh, old Paul Newman. Oh, I miss him. Yep. That was probably his last. That was probably his last great movie. Um. I don't know any other movies you want to talk All about. Right, well, Bull- oh, of course, Hellboy. Want to mention that? Yeah, the Hellboy films are really good. Hellboy movies are very entertaining. Check them out. You might like them. Yeah. I have much <laughs> else to say. We'll probably talk about Hellboy like. I picture one day we'll do a Guillaume del Toro episode. I'd love to do that. I'll probably mention that. Oh, I, I, I
1: see Crimson Peak finally. Did there... you see it? Or are you, you going to watch it? I should watch it. You My should. library has it now.
0: Any uh, other movies that you watched? There that you is want to talk one about? more I want to talk about. Great.
1: Okay. Flash Gordon. Ah, yes.
0: He's a miracle. Not, not a miracle. only
1: did I watch Flash Gordon again,
0: now this, but was, not a al- com- now, this was a comic book. I Flash
1: thought... Gordon was a Sunday Sunday Sunday, <laughs> Sunday was a cereal. Sunday comic strip okay. that was created back in the 30s. All right, because I thought because I thought it was just the the matinee serial. Nope, the comics came first. Oh. And what's great, I is that to prepare for this, I watched the film and then I went back and got some books of the original comic strips. Yeah, and I read basically about three years worth of comic strips of Flash Gordon. Yes. Wow. And it's it's. It's, I mean, it's pretty entertaining. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about the movie is that anything, everything that happens in the movie at some point was in the comic strip. Mm. The part where Baron and Flash fight each other with whips, that's in the comic strip. Nice. The, the part where they fight on the platform of knives that shoot in and out of the full, of the ground, that's in the comic strip.
0: Yeah, so it's pretty faithful.
1: They weren't just making stuff up. No, the they, movie. they, they, they... Basically adapted the material that came before huh. and it it was great for me because i got a chance to rediscover something from what is to me i'm sorry to say this to our older listeners for what is me like the deep past
0: <laughs> the deep past like how far are we talking deep here 1930s there we go <laughs> I Actually, know, for some people, that's pretty deep.
1: I know. I mean, it's longer. I it was longer ago than either of us have been alive. Well, don't so. forget
0: that now the young people think that Empire Strikes Back is an old movie. The younger, the young people. Well, what
1: what what makes you sound older?
0: Well, <laughs> I know that now I'm twice the age of uh, Peter Parker in Civil War. Hey. Um. But no, that's. I mean, watching Flash Gordon, that's. You know, you watch that movie, and it's pretty campy, and yet everybody seems to be on the same even keel with the tone. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Max von Cito might ham it up a little bit, but I, Prepare- he, he he plays a compelling uh, uh, Mingma Merciless. Remove the earth Woman, Prepare her for our pleasure.
1: <laughs> but also, yeah, again, Timothy Dalton comes back.
0: Oh, he was in that
1: movie? Yeah, he was Prince Baron. Yeah. Okay. And then, good old Brian Blessed.
0: Mm, Brian Blessed. Golden's alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Flash! I'm so happy to see you, but you only have 14 hours until Flash. I love you. That's what it is. And, but well, we
1: only have 14 hours to save the Earth. Yeah. Here, well, here's well, what. That, well,
0: those are the quotes from. I'm still remembering the quotes from the, the Queen song. Yeah.
1: And I, I. There are so many things I I realized about this movie seeing it again. Uh, realizing its faults. The biggest yeah. fault that this film has is, is its leads. Yeah. They're bland. Yeah. I, the guy who plays flash, I, I forget his name, unfortunately. And uh, the guy and the woman, uh, I, he,
0: he is not great. And Sam he's MJ Jones. I think yeah, is he,
1: he is not great, but he's also overshadowed by the supporting cast.
0: Yeah. Well, just not, not unlike a rocketeer.
1: Yeah. I, uh, yeah, you have a great point. I mean, when you have Brian Blessed and Timothy Dalton and Max von Sydow and, and even Topol, who plays uh, Zargo. Oh yeah, he's good at he, he he's great in this. Mm-hmm. And even the woman who plays Princess Aura, who I don't even know what her name was, but no. she, she did a great job too. And it, but I, against them, Flash seems like a cardboard cutout. Unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, but the other thing I realized too is that. I think the soundtrack lacks punch. Now, the, the, don't hmm. get me wrong. The well, Queen, you f- The theme that Queen did for Flash Gordon is fantastic. I would never remove that from this film. But then once you get into certain fight scenes, like the big battle in the rocket ship with the Hawkmen, that, that sort of...
0: It's that, not memorable. That,
1: that Brian May... Uh, uh, guitar track. It just doesn't. It doesn't have the punch of like a, a, of a, of a symphonic track. No. It needed a little more orchestra in this. To it needed to get away from you know modern music, and it needed to go back into something which was a little more classic. Mm. I mean, if that if if I could just take one thing and and redo it with Flash Gordon, I would I would. That's what I would choose. Fair enough. And uh, other things that are worth mentioning.
0: Uh, hold on. <laughs> I <laughs> no, I, I would say that this movie I, again I I've only seen it the once it was a few years ago. Um I might have been a little tired when I was watching it, but uh Oh,
1: the thi- the thing that I just remembered. I mean, the sets are quite amazing. I do like the the sets are pretty cool. I mean, yeah. for for a film that's this this campy that, and that, this
0: That that may sound like a small compliment, but you know, for this type of movie, you want to get the look right and you know, they they did. They 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 commit to that look of those ships. Um, you know, how big they look. I mean, this is like a Dino De Laurentiis production and he he does not skimp on anything. Yeah, I mean it's the you know, the big gaudy rocket ships, not just like spaceships like we
1: not sleek, not futuristic at all. This sort of yeah. retro futurism where, you know, it was you know, back in the 30s, where well, this is a rocket ship. It has windows and it has headlights. Yes.
0: <laughs> Interesting piece of trivia. Um, this movie was had the same director photography as uh, Star Wars. Nice. Interesting. And and Flash Gordon, I think, only got made because of Star Wars. Well, well no. Well, what happened was, as you know, I mean, he initially... I, I think George Lucas probably might have changed a lot of things anyway. But initially, he did want to get the rights to Flash Gordon, right. and make that movie, and Diolo De Laurentiis wouldn't give them up. and uh, But then Star Wars came out, and then finally he was like, oh, all right, I guess I gotta make my own movie now. Yeah. I mean, right. he wasn't really rushing to make it. Like, it, he, This was in the early 70s that Lucas approached him, and he said no. Um, yeah. So, yeah.
1: Uh, and Flash Gordon, I even though George Lucas wasn't able to make that Flash Gordon movie, everything that became that inspired him to make star wars came from flash gordon a good lot of it not not all of it but a good deal okay a lot of it yeah i it that was the initial spark because you know he grew up watching those serials and uh he combined that with everything
0: else that he that he learned yeah robin hood other comic books uh. right
1: and then (laughs) then star wars came out And everyone was like, let's scramble to make our own space movie, which Mm -hmm. is why you got films like The Black Hole. Yeah. And then eventually Flash Gordon,
0: which came out the same year as Empire Strikes Back. A couple of small pieces of trivia that I'm not sure if you knew about. Kurt Russell auditioned to play Flash Gordon. Ah, how awesome would he have been? Well, the producer wanted him for it, but he turned it down because he thought the character didn't have any personality. Ah, Well, ultimately, he was right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he probably made the right choice going with John Carpenter and, you know, Escape from New York. Yeah, Um, ultimately. So, you know, in short, we've talked about a lot of movies in this segment. Uh, Dozens, it feels like. Uh, And I think, you know, a lot of them are different, but I think it goes to show that, you know, just as with... If you're ad- adapting from any medium, you do have to change things. You do have to try to make them work better in what is ultimately an hour and a half, two hours, maybe if you're lucky, like *Blue Is Warmest Color*, three hours of screen time. <laughs> and so you'll have to choose things to keep in, things to cut out, and you know actors to play your roles. Uh, On the one hand, you got something that... AKA
1: making a film.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So on the one hand, you have the really dogmatic approach of something like Frank Miller's films that have been adapted, like Sin City and 300. Mm. But then you also then have... uh, uh... I'm trying to think if there's any example here that might be a good example of something that maybe strayed from the source material.
1: Well, that would be hard to tell because we haven't...
0: I think, too much I I think Men in material. Black strayed a bit. I think that was a bit different in the comic books. That didn't really have as much uh, Will Smith. Um but if you've seen any of these movies and have thoughts, please uh get, type uh, go to your keyboard, type in wages of cinema. W A G E S O F C I N E M A uh at Gmail dot com. You can also go to Facebook.com slash wages of cinema. Twitter.com uh, slash Wages of Cinema. We're also on Instagram, where you could see some fun little pictures that I'll post sometimes. And uh, Tumblr, we also have some pictures there. Uh, we post uh, podcasts every, uh, every time we have new episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher.
1: Uh, every two weeks, about.
0: If you go to iTunes, make sure to uh, subscribe to us and give us a review. Uh, it really helps our visibility and helps to make us more prominent in the world of iTunes podcasting. So, so there, um, when we come back next time, we hope to have more movie talk. We dig deep into more movies and we always try to dig out the nuggets to try to polish them off and make them bright and fresh. And I got nothing. No, you're,
1: you're okay you're doing good
0: I was I was trying to get some enthusiasm and I'm a little tired he, he learned too late that man is a feeling creature <laughs> and because of it the greatest in the universe Oh, that's one of your I I don't even think about that quote from where it comes from I only think about it now from when you say it <laughs> yes. You, you've ruled the I'm day I'm in your brain so until next time I'm Jack I'm Andrew and remember the wages of cinema is death have a good night
1: <laughs> 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 All ba du da